0: It is a blessing to be with you again, and I'm always grateful for the opportunity to come to this conference, and uh, what a room full of grace, <laughs> the grace of God that's represented just in one of our lives, just one row, But a whole room. I mean, you know related to your life, and just to think about it, how good he has been to us. and. Hasn't he been happy to inhabit our praises? It's just been wonderful. Let's stand together and let's turn in our Bibles while we read our passage for tonight. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting, the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you tonight, even as we have in song. And we love your word. We've experienced the power of it. And we just pray for a work of your Holy Spirit to continue now as we continue our worship and the study of your word, and that you would take the message off of the page of uh, the Bible that we're holding and that you would engraft it into our heart and into our relationship with you. We pray that you would take this message and the little place that it plays and the larger tapestry that you're putting together as you've continued to speak to us all the way through that that would happen once again tonight. We bless you for your grace, your goodness to us. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for your call upon our lives. We thank you for your love for us, that you are for us when uh, we can wonder about everybody else at a moment in time. And, And we thank you, Lord, for your very firm grip upon our lives. And we thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Chapter 18 of the book of Acts records for us both uh, the conclusion of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey and the beginning of his third. Uh, Following 18 months of ministry in the city of Corinth, the Apostle Paul brought an end to his second missionary journey, and he uh, returned to his sending church in Antioch of Syria. A married couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, both of them, of course, Christians, uh, who Paul met in Corinth. Aquila was a tent maker as well. And they had doubtless served side by side with Paul in the city of Corinth. They traveled with Paul and his return home as far as Ephesus, where Paul left them there in the city to carry on the work until he would one day return, which occurred about a year later. In verse 23, we have what is uh, understatedly describes the beginning of Paul's missionary journey, where we are told that he apparently... Uh, revisited the churches that he had established in earlier uh, missionary uh, journeys in order to strengthen them, cities like Derby and Lystra and Iconium, before then returning to the city of Ephesus where he would be used by God to establish one of the most uh, significant churches uh, of the early church. And all of that is described uh, and is the main focus of chapter 19. But between the end of the second missionary journey and the formal start of his third missionary journey in terms of the narrative, and you think about those two events, they are uh, massively important and significant events in the history of the church. The Holy Spirit does something very interesting here because he pauses in his narrative on the early church in order to then introduce to us a man by the name of Apollos. And in this introduction to Apollos, not only to educate us concerning the start of what would be a very, very significant ministry for the Lord in the early church, but I think also to teach us a very important lesson from his life that has to do with each of our lives in terms of God's calling upon our lives. Apollo's uh, arrival in Ephesus and his subsequent introduction to Aquila and Priscilla is described for us here. While ministering in Ephesus and awaiting Paul's return and evidently attending the synagogue there in Ephesus in the meantime, one Sabbath day, Aquila and Priscilla are in that uh, Sabbath uh, synagogue And a recent arrival into Ephesus, a Jewish teacher was given the floor to preach the sermon that morning in the synagogue. And then doubtless, I think, to the shock of Aquila and Priscilla, and certainly a very pleasant surprise for them, he proceeded to boldly preach New Testament truth, something resembling the gospel. And we are given a description of Apollos by the Holy Spirit in our passage, and the description is very detailed, and it's very, very significant, as God communicates that this man was an extraordinarily gifted and an extraordinarily uh, talented man. We're told, first of all, in verse 24, he is described as a Jew— We're told further in verse 24 that he was born in Alexandria. That was the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time, and it was the capital of northern Egypt. It was the center for education and philosophy. It was a university town in the ancient world. It was famous in the ancient world for its library which ultimately contained 700,000 volumes. Very, very remarkable, given the fact that at that time in man's history, every book was written by hand. It was a city that was utterly dominated by Hellenistic, uh, Grecian, Gentile learning and culture. But within the city, there was also a very large Jewish colony, And in New Testament times, Jews made up about one-third of the population of the city. And so it was additionally a great center of Jewish culture and literature. It was, you might remember or know, the Jews of Alexandria who provided the world with the Septuagint, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And this is where Apollos was born, and where he was raised, steeped not only in Jewish scriptures and in Jewish culture, but also heavily steeped in Hellenistic, in Greek and Gentile culture and learning. And it was the center at that time in the world for the broadest exposure to both cultures in his day. And all of this worked to produce a very, very unique individual in Apollos, a very, very valuable instrument In the hands of the Lord. Apollos was doubtless a highly educated man, but his talents and his giftings didn't end there. We're told further in verse 24 that he was also an eloquent man. He was a man who was not only highly educated, uh, one translation declares him to be learned, but he also possessed the ability to communicate what he knew and the ability to communicate it with great eloquence. Apollos was an artist of sorts. He spoke as an artist paints. What paints are to an artist, words were to him. Not in order to draw attention to himself, but for the purpose of communication, which is the heart of any artist, and to use the word, words in order to express the beauty of the truth that he was communicating, to provoke thought and consideration and appreciation. There is a certain kind of man who has a tremendous ability to learn and a tremendous ability to amass knowledge, but he has no gift to communicate that knowledge, and so very few people can bear to listen to him. And then there's another kind of man or woman who has exactly the opposite problem— And uh, he possesses a great skill in terms of communication, but he doesn't have anything to say of any substance. And so he is highly entertaining, but the listener leaves his presence empty and unsatisfied. Apollos was this rare combination of both substance and eloquence in his ministry. But the description doesn't end there. Apollos, we're told in verse 25, was also a man of great passion. He is described as being fervent in spirit. The word fervent in the original language, it means to boil. Now think about those words, not with uh, water on a stove, but to think about those words in the context of a speaker, in the context of a Bible teacher, of a communicator. And, and this, you think about it in terms of uh, to boil uh, in, uh, for a moment related to a speaker. Apollo spoke with force. He spoke with authority. I think that it's one of the most wonderful things to experience in all of life, to see and to hear great learning and communication skills coupled then with great passion. When the listener recognizes that the speaker is thoroughly engaged in the subject that he's communicating, it's when the listener has the sense that the speaker not only has the message, but the message also has him. Now, expressing passion... Uh, while communicating anything uh, in our culture, but certainly when expressing spiritual things is becoming increasingly uh, rare, in my opinion. And I think that perhaps, in part, it's because of the weakness of the Constitution our culture is currently producing in people today. This kind of thing frightens people, It threatens them, and they're very quick to label it as something that will silence it. It is hate speech or fanaticism or bigotry or intolerance. And so as a result of that, today increasingly, even the greatest issues of life are proclaimed and discussed and debated with the same emotion that a person might exhibit in describing a tuna fish sandwich and we can come to forget, as God's spokesman, that a fervent spirit and a minister of God is a great virtue, and it is a great asset. When I listen to a pastor or a Bible teacher discuss the great issues of life, yes, I like them to know what they're talking about, I like them to be able to communicate it well, I But I also like to hear some passion, something that tells me that they actually believe what it is that they are communicating, and that their message not only has a grip upon their mind, but that it also has a grip upon their hearts. Uh, Very famously, David Hume uh, the 18th century British philosopher who rejected historic Christianity was once walking down the streets of London and he had a friend run by him who was uh, hurrying along the street and he asked him where he was going and his friend said he was going to hear George Whitfield preach. And Hume said, "But surely you don't believe what Whitfield preaches, do you?" And famously, as most of you know, his friend said, "No, I don't, but he does." And that's where passion, even alone, uh, the impact that it can have uh, upon people, very glowingly, the Holy Spirit describes Apollos as fervent in spirit. But it's wonderful as education and oratory skills and passion are, they are utterly wasted unless they are provided a great theme, unless they can attach to a great theme. But you notice in verse 24, Apollos was also a man who possessed a great theme. Indeed, he possessed an inexhaustible theme, for we're told that he was mighty in the Scriptures. He was mighty in the Old Testament Scriptures. And the idea is, in terms of the use of the language there, is that he possessed this thorough knowledge of the Old Testament uh, scriptures? And what's described here is more than just an understanding of the scriptures on some kind of an elementary or a surface level. It communicates that he had mastered them in the sense that he understood them deeply. He had the ability to look at the scriptures and see the implications of what it was that God was communicating, the intent of the Holy Spirit, the point of a passage, its application, the interconnectedness of the scriptures, the implication of what the teaching of one passage had upon another passage, and then indeed the implication that that passage had upon the entire Bible, what Paul would later describe to Timothy as the ability to rightly divide the word of truth. And his understanding of the scriptures was deep, and there was a depth as a result to the content of his teaching and his preaching. But the description doesn't stop there. Verse 25, we're told that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Further in verse 25, we're told that he was taught, he spoke and taught accurately the things of God. Oftentimes, we can feel forced to choose between passion in a speaker and accuracy. Sometimes you can have a passionate speaker who lacks accuracy. In other words, their trustworthiness to declare accurately what the Bible is teaching is lacking. But in Apollos' ministry, he never forced a man or a woman into that kind of choice related to his teaching. He was a careful teacher. He possessed a great concern for accuracy, and his motive wasn't in it, the intent of being considered clever by people as a bible teacher or novel or desiring uh, supremely to find something in a passage that no one had ever seen before where uh, after he's done teaching you might say to yourself wow i never saw that in the passage before only to discover upon reflection that the reason that you had never seen it in the passage is that it simply isn't in the passage <laughs> so apollos He was an accurate teacher of the Word of God. He was a careful teacher. And when you read this description, and the Holy Spirit is careful to lay it out, phrase upon phrase, line upon line, and we look at him and we say, what an extraordinary man, an extraordinary description that we're given here by the Holy Spirit. But I'm convinced that all of that merely lays the foundation for what is the single great thing that the Holy Spirit wants each of us to learn from this man this evening because I'm convinced to know all about, uh, all of that about him, but to know only that about him is to know nothing essentially about him at all. It is to remain completely in the dark as to the true key to this man's greatness, the thing that allowed God to ultimately entrust him with a, a tremendous uh, sphere of influence within the body of Christ. And in this vein, notice in verse 25, that we're told that his message was incomplete. He knew, uh, only knew the baptism of John. So he understood the ministry and the message of John the Baptist. He understood the way, the way of the Lord, the way being a a book of Acts name for uh, Christianity, and but it appears that he was unfamiliar with some areas of Christian doctrine, including baptism in the name of Jesus and what it represented. In my mind, what made Apollos great in the eyes of the Holy Spirit was that Apollos was supremely a teachable man, that he was a humble man, verse 26. On that Sabbath day, as he spoke boldly in that synagogue in Ephesus. Paul's friends Aquila and Priscilla are there in the room, and they noticed that while he had uh, what he taught concerning the Christian faith, it was accurate as far as it went, but it was also incomplete. So following the service, what did they do? They went down to the local in and out, and they made fun of the uh, goofy, ill-informed preacher that taught at the synagogue uh, that morning. Uh, Or or they caught him at the back door immediately after the service and put a finger right up to his nose and uh, corrected him on the spot. Or uh, they... Uh, headed home and uh, reported his teaching to some Christian blog, and uh, they then branded him a heretic and a false teacher before the whole world, destroying his confidence in his ministry before it had ever begun. Now, that's our, our current Christian ministry environment, but it wasn't in Ephesus in that time. It's interesting to notice what Aquila and Priscilla did. Verse 26, They took him aside, And they explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. And it's significant, the words that are used here. They took him aside. In other words, they discipled him privately. And this shows tremendous uh, wisdom and maturity on their part in addressing him and dealing with him. And to teach people in this regard in terms of correcting something or enlarging something that they're not seeing uh, very clearly, uh, it is always good to do it as privately as possible. One of the things, and I'm thankful for many things related to the Lord, but I have found he deals with things in our lives as privately as he possibly can, and uh, it is to be like the Lord uh, in doing that. And people appreciate it. The Holy Spirit takes note of it concerning Aquila and Priscilla. Again, it it blessed him, the Holy Spirit, again to be like God. You notice that they explained to him, the way of God more accurately. So they explained to Apollos. That was the tone in which they spoke into his life. So they didn't deride him, they didn't make fun of him, they didn't make him feel foolish or come across as better than him. And I, I think, uh, it, praise the Lord for Aquilas and Priscillas who were willing to take the time, number one, and then even more to take the risk to give a helpful hint to a fellow minister and Christian in order to make their ministry even more effective. I think one of the most um, uh, ignored commands in the entire New Testament is the one that tells us that we are to exhort one another daily, especially as we see the day of the Lord approaching. It's amazing how within the body of Christ we can see someone slipping into something or we see something where they're making a mistake and we can sit silently while they drive their whole life off of a cliff and then afterwards say, I saw it coming. Like that's some kind of a gift, but Aquila and Priscilla stepped in and was a voice in this, uh, this man's young ministry. And then to his credit, Apollos was completely teachable, and he accepted their instruction. And there is a beautiful humility demonstrated in this. Very, very often, even in Christian circles... People with Apollos' talent and gifting and calling and even with far less gifting and calling and talent can cease to be humble or to be teachable. And notice, too, that here the great and talented and gifted Apollos was willing to be instructed by a tent maker and by his wife, by a woman. Here he is. You've got to put yourself in his shoes and in that ancient culture. He had been educated in the classrooms of Alexandria. He had listened to some of the greatest orators and some of the greatest minds of his generation. He had been born and raised in a city with a library that numbered 700,000 books. And yet when he realized that he had something to learn from these two humble servants of the Lord, he was not only willing to do so, but he was eager to do so. And he was eager to learn from anyone and everyone who could teach him something that would make him more effective in his service to the Lord. So Apollos, as the portrait is painted for us here, In the book of Acts, he was a gifted man. He was a humble man. But we're also told in verses 27 and 28 that he became an exalted man. It was because he was humble that he also became a promoted man, a man to whom God could then entrust an even greater influence within the body of Christ. And it allowed the Christian leadership in Ephesus to ultimately Uh, give a very, very hearty recommendation concerning Apollos uh, in a letter to the, uh, the church at Corinth recommending him as a truly spiritual man. And in Corinth, as you well know, he had a tremendous influence for the kingdom of God. As we're told there in verse 27... He became a very strong encouragement to those who knew the Lord in Corinth. And then he became, verse 28, a great apologist for the Christian faith there, showing the Jews there from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. I think that Apollos teaches us that it is supremely this thing called humility which will ultimately have the single greatest say, in where we end up in life, and the ultimate say as to the true effectiveness and influence of our Christian service. I remember years ago, in a pastor's conference like this held at Marietta, and one of the pastors was teaching, and he uh, talked about a poll that had been conducted among Christians, a very large sampling of Christians. And not leaderships, people that attend churches. And the simple question was posed to them, what is the single greatest thing you desire in a pastor? And interestingly enough, the answer was not education. It was not eloquence. It was not charisma. Do you know what the answer was? It was humility. It was humility confirming the very thing that the Holy Spirit is teaching us in this passage concerning Apollos. And we see the witness to the power of humility all around us every day uh, in life. It is the humble person that people like to be around. It is the humble person that people root for and hope they'll succeed. And then I think very, very significantly for us as ministers, it is the humble person and the humble person alone that people are willing to give a place of influence to in their lives. Again, concerning the influence in the kingdom of God, Whatever our calling is here tonight, it is unfailingly true over the long haul that our advancement in it, our influence for God and that he gives us in it is determined ultimately and supremely by our humility as opposed to our natural talent, our God-given gifts, and our calling. Why? Because without humility, over time, All of those things will become utterly shipwrecked. Every single one of those things will ultimately be wasted. And, of course, all of this is is consistent with what the Bible speaks concerning this issue uh, from one end of the Bible to the other. From the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 5, "...a wise man will hear and increase learning." And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Verse 7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. And instruction Proverbs 9 9 give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still teach a just man and he will increase in learning the Apostle Peter wrote uh, in 1st Peter chapter 5 verse 5 he said likewise you younger people submit yourself to your elders yes all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Apostle James made the same point. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he that is God gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus himself spoke most authoritatively of all. Matthew 23:12, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now the subject of pride And the subject of humility in the Bible is a very, very large uh, uh, subject. And so in closing here, we're going to limit our focus to just three things that I think our passage uh, teaches us in this vein. First of all, that as Christians, as, as pastors, we should always possess a strong hunger and a desire to continue to grow spiritually all the days of our life. It is, and I exhort myself, it is an expression of spiritual pride when a Christian stops growing spiritually. And of course, we see this kind of thing all of the time, where somebody becomes a Christian and they go full on for one year or five years or seven years or ten years, and they decide this is all I want to know about this. This is as far as I'm going to go in this. I'm going to camp Uh, Right here, and they stay in that spiritual maturity or immaturity then for the remainder of their life. But it isn't just Christians. We can be very prone to that, uh, even as pastors. And again, I exhort myself. Apollos was eager to continue to grow spiritually. It was also true of the Apostle Paul, of course when he wrote the book of Philippians and when he writes the book uh, of Philippians, he has been saved for 30 years. He has been in ministry for 25 full years. And yet with all of that behind him, this is what he declares in chapter three. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, let us, as many as mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Paul, uh, uh, immediately before his uh, death as a martyr, wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. And uh, I have left uh, two... I always get that goofed up. Is it three syllables or two? I have sent to Ephesus, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and then bring the books, especially the parchments. And here he is. It's like, Paul, give it a rest. You're going to go to heaven in a very short period of time. And yet he wanted to continue to grow all the way until the end. And I think it's important for me at least to be reminded that when God and the Bible are the subjects... And Jesus in Christ-likeness is the practical standard that we're desiring to achieve. There will always be room for growth all of the days of our lives. And it's important to realize for us as ministers that the gap between what we teach and then the life that we actually live... That gap should always be narrowing the longer we live, and it should never, ever be widening. I think that there's a great self-deception that occurs, I'm sure, in every culture within the world, but it is certainly very, very strong in Western culture, and we're a part of Western culture in the United States of America. And there's this great self-deception that can occur in our minds as ministers and coming to think that we are spiritual based upon how much we know as opposed to how much we know and then how much of that we are actually putting into practice in our lives. A second thing I think that we learn from Apollos here, as we've already discussed, is humility is expressed in a willingness to be taught— Uh, To be teachable, no matter what our natural talent or God's gifting or our calling. As Paul declared to the church at Philippi, teachableness is not a mark of weakness, it's not a mark of immaturity in a Christian, it's a mark of maturity. And then, third, humility is expressed not only in a willingness to be taught by God but a willingness to be taught by God through whatever human instrument he chooses to use to do so, not only by those who excel us in the body of Christ in terms of natural talent or gifting or calling or experience, but also by those who we might excel in terms of education or life experience or talent or even spiritual influence by virtue of God's calling, those who may come from a lower station in life that we come from or that we are in. It, it isn't unlikely that Apollos excel, excelled Aquila and Priscilla in all of these things, and yet Apollos possessed the humility that allowed him to be corrected and instructed by them concerning spiritual things. And the result was that he became even more fruitful in God's call upon his life. And so the importance of we must be willing to receive instruction from any vessel that God chooses to instruct us through. And again, I exhort myself. There are times where I look and I say, "Um, Lord, I don't mind being instructed, but I really mind who you're using uh, in this particular uh, situation. But to prize God's voice and to prize his correction and his discipleship when it occurs uh, through the vessel of his choice. Now, most of us are aware of the warnings that. Are in the Old Testament law given concerning kings and leaders, uh, concerning the multiplication of silver and gold and wives and horses, which all of which has been, I think, helpfully translated into our modern life as a warning for us uh, concerning money, women, and pride. I think that by and large, staying alert to the danger that sexual immorality, and greed can represent to our calling, and then building safeguards in those area, areas in our life, that is fairly straightforward. Of the three, comparatively speaking, pride is much harder to spot, and very often it gets a free ride until it virtually destroys us and our ministries. I think that, I, I, I don't know what the, the estimate would be but we hear about sometimes somebody falling related to a woman, somebody falling related to finances. We're so, it's so obvious, it's so apparent to us. But is it, even, is it unlikely that five times, ten times more people uh, end up getting drummed out of ministry under the influence of a pride that they are blind to uh, than the other two sins uh, put together? And of course, as you're aware, the trouble with pride is that once it gets established in our life, it it incapacitates our ability to recognize it. We become too proud to know that we are proud. And pride is so destructive and so dangerous to our calling. Nothing good can ever, ever come out of uh, pride in our lives. But this evening, my primary purpose tonight is not so much to deliver an exhortation concerning pride, though if the shoe fits for me, I want to wear that tonight. But what I want to do tonight, and I think the Holy Spirit uh, wants to do, is rather to exalt humility and to encourage it among us as a virtue, uh, because we live in an age where it is undervalued and it is ignored increasingly, not only in the world, but increasingly in the church. But it is humility that pleases God. It is a humility that makes our lives attractive to people in a way nothing else can. And it is humility that sets us free, really, on many, many levels in our service to the Lord. So Apollos was an eloquent man, He was an educated man. He was a man fervent in spirit, a man with a great theme. He was a man who was mighty in the Scriptures, an astonishing description, really. But all of those things would have been utterly wasted if he had not also been a humble man. And humility is so important in the Christian life and ministry. Again, ultimately, it will determine where we end up in life and where we end up in ministry, and it will give us an influence for the kingdom of God and within the kingdom of of God that talent and education alone never will in and of themselves. If you were forced me to choose between a man who is enormously naturally talented, gifted by God, a tremendous call of God upon their his life, and yet he lacks humility. And you put him in one corner, and then you put someone else in another corner who is, by comparison, uh, very much less in terms of natural uh, talent, in terms of gifting from God, maybe even in terms of calling upon their life. And you ask me to bet uh, my 50 bucks on, you know, where these two people are going to go in terms of influence for the kingdom of God, it's a no-brainer. It is always the one that possesses humility. Everything is stacked and loaded in that uh, direction. When we think of Apollos, we can tend to think, uh, I think of his uh, greatness in the early church solely in terms of his eloquence. But it was his humility that was the real secret to his greatness for the simple reason as Jesus said, for God resists the proud, and he gives grace uh, to the humble. And we need all of the grace that we can get. I know uh, I do. And so as we think about Apollos and the uh, future of our, uh, our own ministries and our own relationship with God and devotional life, may God uh, take this great mark of Apollos' life and bring it to my remembrance, how often through the years God will bring this truth concerning Apollos to my mind at just the right time or to remind me of the key uh, of his uh, greatness. And so a beautiful, I think, uh, message and a needed message. While so many things are being Uh, put forward to us and foisted upon us as being the keys to all of these uh, things in terms of greatness and greatness in terms of influence. And I rarely see uh, humility uh, being even on the list, and yet it is a a key uh, part of, of the effectiveness of any of our ministries. Let me pray for us now. Father, we readily confess our propensity to pride. You use us in just the smallest little way and something goofy can get birthed inside of us. And that constant fight with this thing that is within us, the original sin, the sin that caused Satan himself to fall and is at the core of all sin. And I pray for us tonight and I ask that you would use our time in looking at Apollos tonight to refine from our hearts tonight anywhere that pride has become entrenched, where it is being revealed in our lives and through our lives in the treatment of our wives or of our children or of our staff or of Christians or of the world, Lord, And we acknowledge tonight in this place the unbelievable danger that pride is to us. And we pray that as it exists in any of our hearts tonight, that you would put your finger upon it so that we can repent of it and clothe ourselves in humility tonight, as Peter wrote. And I pray and we pray that you would use this passage of Scripture to forever Inoculate us, Lord, from ever thinking that greatness and influence and a a great impact for the kingdom of God is to be found solely in the things that are described here in Apollos' life and independent of the humility that he also possessed. Lord, we thank you for how it is that you chasten us. We thank you for how you break us. We thank you for how you keep us close to you. We thank you for how you expose this thing that is such a dangerous to us and that we would completely miss, except for the work of your Holy Spirit and your word, to expose it. And so we pray that you would use this passage tonight to forever keep us safe from this great enemy to your call upon our lives. We thank you tonight uh, for Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for the supreme example uh, of the power and the effectiveness of humility in his willingness to be the very Son of God and God the Son, and to come into this world and to die that death that he died upon the cross and that we have sung about in order that we might be saved and we might know you as we know you tonight. And we ask that you would continue to conform us into the image of Christ in this important area of our life as well. And we ask it in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Damian Kyle. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Damian's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.